know, it's, it's a great day uh, that I forget that the body of Christ is celebrating the name of Jesus throughout the country right now. And I just think that's kind of cool. And sometimes we lose sight of that, that this hour um, of the week throughout the country, people are lifting up the name of Jesus together, being encouraged by his word. It's really a, a powerful concept. And I think so often we live in our own little compartments within the church that are on this corner, or in my case, the corner of Sunshine and Jefferson, uh, that we forget that the body of Christ extends beyond uh, the four walls of this room and other rooms. And I, I don't know, it, I feel honored to be here today. Um, this is the seven, second time I've gotten to speak to you guys. I came about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I'm not sure. And uh, I'm just uh, pleased to be back. So thank you very much for having me here today. I have another confession to, to make to you besides this, uh, the fact that I totally dropped the ball on something. Elise, would you actually write that down so I don't forget? Uh, that's my wife. She's in the back. Um, I'll be making phone calls this afternoon. How many of you guys are uh, teenagers in the 90s? Anybody in here teenagers in the 90s? Uh, there was a, a movement in rock music in the 90s that is close to my heart that meant the world to me that was absolutely terrible and disgusting, and I'm ashamed to admit that I embraced it wholeheartedly, and that is ska music. Was anybody in here a ska fan back in the day? <laughs> I, I still listen. Uh, my favorite band uh, in high school was Five Iron Frenzy. Uh, I was a huge Five Iron fan, and uh, I, I, loved, I loved their music. It was fun. So for those of you who don't know, it's basically uh, punk rock with horns. Um, that's the closest thing I could, I could say to what it is. Um, and this band, Five Iron Frenzy, had this song, and uh, the, the song was called Dandelions. And uh, the song Dandelions is kind of, uh, it's, it's a little cheesy, I'll admit, but it's a cute song too. Uh, so the idea is that when, when you're a kid, you pick a bunch of dandelions and you give them to your mom, and your mom is so grateful for this beautiful bouquet that you brought her. And she's quietly also grateful that you just picked a bunch of weeds in the yard. Uh, but she's thankful. You, you just picked dandelions and you gave these humble flowers to your mom and she saw them as a bouquet and she loves you. The, the, then the second verse goes on to our life is essentially weeds and that we present our bouquet of dandelions to God, but God in his love for us sees them as a bouquet and he gives them value because they're great. So I chose the dandelion today for the, the symbol of uh, the, the study on humility because it's really a humble flower. It's actually a weed, but uh, you can give it great value and honor um, despite what it is. So I want you guys to think through all the times that uh, you've been in church, Bible studies you've been through, sermons you've heard, books you've read. How many of those have you heard, Bible studies you've done, or books you've read, about the subject of humility. Now, this, uh, this fall, my church went through a study on humility, and uh, me and, and my intern uh, began to research what study should we do for this topic of humility. And he recommended this book by Andrew Murray called Humility. Uh, it was written in the 1870s, but as we did our research, we couldn't find very many studies on humility. I mean, there were some that were out there, but your marquee guys, your big names in church world, they, they don't write 
about humility. There aren't a ton of Bible studies out there about this topic. So as me and my intern began to talk about this phenomenon, uh, we came up with two reasons why this might be the case. The first is that a, a proud man feels like a hypocrite teaching on his great weakness. I think also my intern said it best for the second reason. He said, and a humble man feels like he has no authority on the subject of humility. So as I come to you guys today, I, I actually align myself more with the first than the second. Uh, pride has been an area in my life that the Lord has been banging out of me and, and forcing out of me for the better part of a decade, if not longer. It is an area of personal struggle, and um, honestly, it, it, it rears its head from time to time in, in ugly ways. And so I, I come to you today uh, confessing that, and, and I come to you in, in the, on this topic of humility in the spirit of Paul in Philippians 3. So I want you guys to read this passage with me, and I'll tell you where my heart is as I talk about this idea of humility. It says this in, in Philippians 3, verse 10. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So if you will please grant me this grace. I know that you guys don't know me very well, but as I said, I've really wrestled with this for years. And so I come to this subject because I think it has tremendous eternal value and I think it has tremendous immediate impact. So it's my prayer that, that my personal hypocrisy and teaching on the subject of humility and pride will not keep this message from having meaning in your hearts and lives. I shared this passage from Philippians 3 because it shows the pursuit. Paul is speaking of heaven here, of eternity, but he says that he's not perfect. But see, just because he's not perfect, that hasn't stopped him from pursuing it. He is chasing after it. So here I come to you today to talk about the subject of humility, not as one who has fully arrived at humility, but one who wrestles with pride, but understands the, the importance of this trait and how it must be present in the lives of those who follow Jesus. And I say, all right, guys, I, I haven't arrived yet, but let's pursue this together. So if you'll open your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 26, and we're going to read through 38. Today, we're going uh, to look at three principles of humility in the character of Mary, Jesus' mother. We're going to see three principles of humility in the character of Jesus' mother. Now, here we are uh, coming close to Thanksgiving. We're kind of in the Christmas spirit already. I'm sure some of you guys have swapped out your pumpkin spice for peppermint mocha or whatever else it might be as we're approaching the Christmas season. Uh, but I actually think that if we're not careful, we can approach the story of Mary and we can get so wrapped up in Christmas, and then Christmas is a glorious thing, that we miss the character of Mary. We miss her heart. And so what I want to do today is not focus on 
the manger scene or on her and Joseph. You know, and I just imagine Mary sitting on the back of a donkey going to Bethlehem. I don't want to think about the star of David. All those things are great. What I really want to look at today as we look at this story is the character of Mary. So as we go into our study of humility, we're going to see three things. We're going to see first off that humility resists honor. Second, we're going to see that humility recognizes shortcomings. And finally, we're going to see that humility leads us to dependence. So let's go ahead and dive into our passage today. We're going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And I'm reading from the CSB. It says, the CSB, that's the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. A virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her, sixth, uh, her, son in her old age, and this is her sixth month for who, who, for who who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Listen to verse 38 here. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be, may it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. So again today, we're going to see three principles of humility in the character of Mary. The first one is that she resists honor, that she recognizes her shortcoming, and the last one is that it leads her to dependence. I want you guys to just put yourself in Mary's shoes for a second. She has been given this tremendous honor. God has decided that she's going to be his vessel for bringing his son, the savior of the world, into our world, into the, this plane of existence. That is a powerful and amazing honor to be given. And what's Mary's response? She's, she's resistant to this. She's troubled by it. But God gives her this responsibility anyway. And she says, how can this be? And then the angel continues to tell her how it's going to be, that she's going to conceive of the Holy Spirit. And God explains this plan to her. And then in the end there, she says, may it be done to me as according to your word. This is a powerful, powerful idea. And I want us to pull out each one of these principles. So let's go ahead here and dig into uh, verse 28 through 31. And we're going to grab this first principle, which is that Mary was resistant to this honor. So let's look again back at our passage, and we're going to look at uh, verse 28 through 31. It says this, 
And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, what honor was ascribed to Mary? She was called favored among women. She was called one who had favor with God. And what was her reaction? So she encounters this angel. She's just minding her own business. She's engaged to this guy. Uh, You know, life is going to start taking on new shape, and uh, she's going to move into the next phase of her life. And all of a sudden, this angel shows up and calls her a favored woman, one who has favor with God. And her reaction is interesting. She is deeply troubled. That is to say that she is confused or perplexed. She's wondering what is going on. She's likely unsure of how this greeting can be meant for her. It's almost like she's saying, Angel, are, are, you, are you sure you're at the right girl? I, I get this sense that she's got this kind of, who, who me? I mean, she's almost looking behind her, saying like, sure, surely you're talking to, to somebody else. And then it says that she's wondering what kind of greeting this could be. I, I sense here that she just all around doesn't feel worthy of what's going on. As I see this unfold in my mind, as I see this angel show up and call her a favored woman, one who has favored with God, I see her almost flinch at that notion, this downwardness. She seems to pull away from the idea that she would have favor with God. It's almost like, you know, when you touch a fire or something that's hot, you pull back. When Mary is told that she is a favored woman, one who has favored with God, her reaction is to resist this. Now, is that what we see in our lives, in the world we live in? When people are uh, shown honor, how do they tend to respond? Usually, it's something like this big chin-up. They start to bow their chest out a little bit. They start to believe their press clippings. That's what I've heard uh, my coach say before. You know, when you start doing really well and they're writing about you in the paper, don't start believing your own press clippings. Okay, don't start believing everything that everybody's saying about you. When honor is ascribed to somebody, they tend to start to feel like they are something. They begin to uh, feel entitled. And, and I know this sounds crazy, but I think a lot of people out there really do. When, when honor comes, they feel like they deserve it. They start to point to the things they've done and see, oh yeah, yeah, they're right by giving me this honor. That is not at all what happens in the case of Mary. She doesn't say, oh, I've been waiting for you, angel, where you been? She doesn't start making an offering of her skills and abilities and pointing to the things that she's done to show the angel, that's right, you have shown up at the right girl. There's, there's no response of, Okay, angel, I heard you. All right, let's go. Let's go save the world. Let's go. Come on. All right. One, uh, save the world on three. One, two, three. Save the world. There's none of that. Okay? That's not what happens. There's not a hint of pride that we see in Mary's response to this angel. That tends to be what happens in us, though, isn't it? 
You see, I, I don't know how you talk about humility without addressing pride. Pride has been something that humanity has been fighting since the beginning of time. In, in my opinion, I believe that pride was present in the Garden of Eden when the serpent came at Eve and tempted her. I want you to listen to what the serpent says to Eve and see where he's getting at with her. Genesis 3.5 says this, in fact, this is the serpent talking to Eve, in fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, eat that fruit, and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. What's the temptation here for Eve? The temptation there is that she could be like God. The temptation is this knowledge. And I believe that the temptation is to a degree here, independence from God. I believe, bottom line here, that that Eve was looking to be exalted in her own eyes and by her own efforts when she took a bite of that fruit. And I think pride has been uh, plaguing us ever since. So how does our pride affect us? I think we crave acknowledgement, and I think we long to be validated by others. I think we crave acknowledgement, and I think we long to be validated by others. I know I do. Just, just last night, my wife and I had a conversation that we've had more than once. I'm sure you and your spouse have had those repetitive conversations. You see, I really like acknowledgement, and, and I really like to be validated. So in our home, um, I, I, I'm in the office Monday through Thursday, and on Friday, I'm off. And my wife, she works all day on Friday. So uh, not every time, not every week, but often uh, I, I try to do something for my wife. Really, what I'm learning is I, I try to do it for me. Uh, but, but what I'll do is, uh, all right, I'll shut the kids down, keep them from getting toys out. Maybe I'll put them out in the backyard or something like that at around uh, 3.30 or something like that to begin to get the house clean. All right, so I'll start picking up toys and I'll clean the kitchen. And on a rare, 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 very rare occasion, maybe I'll start dinner. And then when my wife gets home, I'll stand in the kitchen and I'll be like, And so she comes home, and she's had a long day at work, and we've got a a baby at home, so she's got to nurse a baby whenever she gets home, and the kids are going crazy because they're happy to see mom, and I'm in the kitchen. Look at what I did. Do you see what I did? And then, you know what? Life gets busy, and uh, sometimes I I don't get that acknowledgement, And, and it's because it's something that I feel like I am entitled to. Now, you may not clean the kitchen to get compliments from your husband or wife, It may not be dinner for you. I don't know whatever the situation is, but a lot of times we do the things that we do in our lives in order to get acknowledgement. Maybe it's at work. Maybe you do something for your boss. Maybe you work hard just because you want that honor or prestige of whatever it might be. But a lot of times what we do is we work so hard to earn honor. You see, the something that I've learned as I've studied humility recently is honor is not something that can be earned or seized. It's something that's given. You can't claim or take honor. Honor has to be given. So I can't make my wife honor me and exalt me and lift me up for scrubbing pots and pans. I'd like to, but I can't. It is a gift from her. And the second I make her owe me that honor, it ceases to be honor. It's now me being a tyrant. It's now a worthless word because I've demanded it. It's honor when it's a gift. 
So we cannot claim it. We cannot seize it. The way to pursue honor is low, low, low. Let me read a couple Proverbs to you guys. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before a downfall, the, the heart, before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29.23 says, Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the almighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. But this seems counterintuitive to the way that we do honor in our culture. You see, we like to give honor to uh, people who do things for us. I want you to think about that for a second. Who do you give honor to? Who do we honor in our culture? Well, I think a lot of times we honor our athletes, okay? Why do we honor our athletes? Well, because they're pretty good entertainers. They're a lot of fun to watch. I think for many of us, they're an inspiration. We think, oh, you know, because of them, I want to work out. I want to run faster. I want to jump higher. Uh, I want to hit harder, whatever that may be. They're an inspiration to us. And so when they excel, what we want to do is give them honor because they are giving something to us. The same is true for artists. I don't care if it's theater or music or poetry or painting or sculpture, whatever the medium of art may be, we give them honor because they have made something beautiful for us to enjoy. At the end of the day, that honor comes not because of anything uh, intrinsic about that person, but because of what we get from them. The same is true about intellectuals. Think about that. Why do we give honor to brilliant people? Well, because they solve the world's problems. They make our life easier. What about our leaders? Why do we give our leaders honor? Well, because they do jobs we don't want to do. They solve the problems we don't want to deal with. They make our lives easier. At the core of each and every one of these places that we often give honor is actually ourself, what we can get from them. But the real question here is, what can we give God? And the answer to that is nothing. There is nothing we can give God. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. It is impossible for us to earn His honor. Thus, any honor we receive from God is by definition an act of grace. It is His mercy that allows Him to honor us. So when that honor is given, how should we respond? It should not be as one that is entitled, not be as one that is deserving, but one that recognizes the fact that God is giving us an honor is His grace. So if you look at Mary and how she responded, it makes total sense because she knew who she was. She knew she did not deserve it. And so when that honor was poured out on her, how does Mary respond? She recoils. She recoils because in her humility, she recognized her shortcomings. Which brings us to our second principle today. Mary is given this huge and awesome beautiful responsibility, and she deflects it. She hesitates accepting it. 
God has tasked her with the responsibility of giving birth to the Savior of the world and the Son of God. And Mary's response is this. She says in verse 34, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? She says, how can this be? Now, a lot of you might think that this is doubt, but who's she doubting? Who's she doubting? She's not doubting God. She's doubting herself. She's evaluating where she is, and she's saying, I'm not qualified. So how old was Mary at this time? We really don't know, but she was probably somewhere between 14 and 21. She was a young woman. She wasn't married yet, okay? So at this point in time, it wasn't a shame for her not to have children. Uh, In that culture, children mattered tremendously. And so to not have children as you got older sometimes was kind of a shame. But it wasn't a shame for her not to have children yet because she was so young and she wasn't even married. But she says to the Lord, how can this be? How can I be the, the mother of the Savior of the world? I haven't even been with a man. I'm not married. I'm not qualified, God, for the task that you have set before me. Now, you know what she does not do? She does not begin to make plans to get qualified. You hear me? She does not make plans to get qualified. A lot of times, whenever we are called by God to do something challenging, you know what we begin to do? Plan it. All right, God, I'm going to go get myself qualified. I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to make sure I pay off these debts. Or I'm going to wait maybe until my kids are out of the house. Or at least until all my kids are in school. We begin to find ways to qualify ourselves for God's work. But that is not what Mary does. Mary recognizes her unqualified, her disqualifications and confesses them to the Lord. That's it. She confesses her, un, her lack of qualifications to the Lord, and that is it. And then you know what happens? The Lord speaks into that. The Lord provides the qualifications. He's the one who makes it happen. You see, too often what we do is we try to justify why we are worthy of the work that God has called us to do. And that is the wrong attitude. You see, in humility, we must submit to God and consider it a blessing that we have the opportunity to serve Him and let Him work through us and in us to accomplish His plan and purpose. Now, sometimes God will call you to qualifications. Uh, God called me to seminary. All right, that was my next step in following Him and, and the pursuit of being the pastor. Sometimes God will call us to qualifications but they should be at his initiation, not our initiation. She submits to God and obeys, and she was pleased to be used by God. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And she was pleased to do it. How do I know she was pleased to do it? I want you to look at verses 46 through 52. This is Mary's song. She sings this song to the Lord, and I want you to see where her heart is. She says, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of, these, because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. She was pleased about what God was doing. 
Look at verse 49. Who has done these great things? It was God. It was not her. And in verse 51, who has done the mighty deeds? It is God. It is not her. And in verse 30, uh, 52, who has toppled uh, the mighty and exalted the lowly? It is God who did this. It is not Mary. I want you guys to, to, to look at the example of Paul as Paul dealt with pride and what he did to keep himself and the attitude that he had in his heart to keep himself humble, or should I say to remain humble by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at, look at this passage in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up about halfway through 7 and then through 10. It says this, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself. Do you see that, the pride welling up? Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that, he, that it would leave me. But he said to me, this is Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Now, what I love about Paul's heart here is he says, okay, if your power is perfected in weakness, then let me be weak. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me, so I may take pleasure. Do you see that, church? How crazy is this man? So I take pleasure. It's hard to finish that sentence. So I take pleasure in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's powerful. So often, we expend so much energy trying to find our own power, trying to be worthy. But Paul says, no, it is in your unworthiness that the Holy Spirit steps in and fills you with power, and He is worthy for you, and you just get to be along for the ride. And it is a glorious and great thing because if God is going to accomplish great things through you, it's not going to be because of the works of your hands. It's going to be because of the works of the Holy Spirit in your life. Oh, so let me be weak, he says. Let me be weak. Because in my weakness, I need you. So this is our third principle. Humility leads us to dependence. Mary participates in God's work. Bearing the Savior of the world, though, was not her doing. It was God. She got to be a vessel. She got to be along for the ride. Now, she, wasn't, she, she might have been passive here, but she wasn't passive in the sense of non-compliant. She enjoyed it. She welcomed it. And God got to use her to do a mighty, mighty work. But she did this not according to her plan and her way, but according to the Father. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. May it be to me as you have said. Who controls the parameters here of God's action? Not Mary. He does. So often we say we will follow God in these ways. I will do what you want me to do as long as it fits in here. I will obey as long as it is convenient. 
I'm going to manipulate this system and work things out in such a way that this is uh, what's best for me. But Mary says, may it be done to me according to your word. She forfeits comfort. She forfeits the control. And she says, God, I put it in your hands. May it be done to me according to your word. Jesus' teaching says that this is the way to do it. Look at John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. I love this passage. It says, remain in me and I in you. This is Jesus speaking to those who are following him. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. I want you to think about that branch for a second, church. As it's in the vine and it produces that fruit, you're the branch. Now, if we're not careful, we can start looking at that fruit and saying, look at all this goodness that we are producing. Look at all this greatness that we are doing. And we can start to say, all right, that is our fruit. But then cut that that branch from the vine. Cut that branch from the vine and see what happens to that fruit. It begins to shrink. It begins to wither. It begins to fall away. The only way that that fruit is produced is if the branch is in the vine. You see, it is not according to our will. It is according to His. It's not according to our word. It's according to His. So part of being humble is depending on that vine because the only way that that fruit will come is if we remain in Him. And what an honor it is to be used by the vine to produce fruit, church. What an honor and a gift that is to participate in the fruit-making process. And He has decided that he wants to use you to make his fruit. So abide in that vine. Church, I hope you can see the value of these three principles of humility, that humility resists honor, that humility recognizes its shortcoming, and that humility leads us to dependence. But I don't want us to miss this as we begin to to close the message down. Being humble is not some virtue that we aspire to alone. It is a command. We are commanded by God to have the character of holiness. I think so often we we come to our accountability groups, we come to these times of confession, and we, we, um, we, we use pride as this safe sin, this socially acceptable sin. We come in to our accountability group and we say, all right, because I'm not really too talk, ready to talk about the big guns of these sins in my life, I'm going to confess pride because that's safe. Nobody's going to judge me. So we come into our accountability group or it's time to be transparent. And so in our transparency, we think a safe one, pride. Guys, uh, I'm sorry, I, I struggle with pride. I know I need to do better. And then you get out of there and you think, I didn't have to tell them what's really bothering me. See, here's the problem with that. We miss how disgusting pride is. Pride separates us from God. It says that we don't have to be dependent on him. It says that we, uh, we, we are, are good enough on our own. It, it, it does not acknowledge shortcomings. And it says that we are deserving. Pride is a horrible abomination of sin and should not be something that we take so lightly. We should recognize that God has called us to this and we should strive for it and accept it as the gift that he is giving. I want you to see the commands that God has given us in 
uh, when it comes to humility. Micah 6.8 says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. What does he require? Do you see it? This is a command. You are commanded to walk humbly. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and what? Humility. Again, it's this command, do it, put it on. Now, why is this so important, church? We need to see this as we we step into the last part of our, our message today. Why is this so important? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 28 says this. It says, God has chosen the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. I'm going to read that again. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God wants to do great things and he doesn't, he doesn't want us to get in the way. You see, whenever we step in and take the credit for what's going on, we're saying we deserve the glory. But when we serve him in our lowness, when we serve him in dependence on him, then he gets the glory. Then our obedience gets to be a testimony of God's glory to others because we are not looking for what we can gain from it, but because in our dependence, we understand that we could not even obey if Christ and the Holy Spirit did not rest on us and empower us and enable us to obey. It is in that submission that when we serve God, we can give him all the glory. That we don't begin to pat ourselves on the back for these wonderful things that we've done for God. You see, I think a lot of times when it comes to our personal pride and humility, we look for grand stories like Mary. We're all waiting around for Mary's story, to be called to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Well, let let me tell you, that, that task has already been done. He's probably calling you to something else, and it's probably something small. But we have to be faithful in that. We have to lean and depend on Him in that. Because in our weakness, he is made strong. And if we really believe that as our mission is the church to take his name to the ends of the earth, then it better be his name that we're taking to the ends of the earth and not our own. And when we serve in pride and when we serve in entitlement, that's exactly what we're doing. We're using Jesus as a vehicle to self-promotion. But we should be made low. Because when we are made low, he will lift us up. And when we are made low, he is exalted. So let me ask you this question as we uh, wrap, wrap our, our message up today. Do you need to repent of pride? Do, do you see that maybe you've been working for God, thinking perhaps you could earn this honor that he's given you? Are you working in your own strength to earn his approval rather than relying on him? You see, church, this is a gift of grace. Praise him that you don't have to earn it. Because if you don't have to earn it, then every single time you obey, every single time that you do what he's called you to do, it gets to be an act of worship. It gets to be a gift back to him and not this way of leveling the playing field or making it all fair and good. It gets to be an act of a gift giving to the Father in your worship through obedience.
So as we close and I, and I pray for us today, I want you to ask yourselves, what do I need to do to repent of the pride in my life? Where is the pride showing up? Do I expect that God's going to work through me in the grand ways he worked through Mary? Or am I content to depend on him in the small ways that God has called me to obey? Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you and praise you for all that you've done. We thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, I pray that it would impact us and help us to realize how much we need you. That we would have hearts that are totally, 100% dependent on you and your goodness. Father, I pray that as we go and we carry your name into the community and to, to visit with those around us, that it would be for your glory and not for our own. It's in your name we pray. Amen.